1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 211 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Benello, pinch hitting for George Retus. I want to emphasize that all the pages expressed in this show are my own, not that, that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence or privilege to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed episode 205. We had an encore episode with the chief analytics officer of X-Analytics, Bob Vessio. Bob had come on the show to share his perspective on how executives can understand and demystify systemic cyber risk. We discussed the four risk treatment options for any risk, and we unpacked embracing diversity as a countermeasure to how and how you should never rely on one mitigated control. Vessio also finished up the show talking about the importance of understanding loss ratio meaning the expected loss of cyber over revenue. All this and much, much more in episode 205 of TF7 Radio, which was a great lead-in for this week, folks. I had to, I had to have the encore because we were bringing on the, our TF7 SEC expert, Chris Hetner, to join me on the show tonight. The SEC had proposed a rule to mandate <clears throat> cybersecurity disclosures by public companies, so I had to bring in Chris Chris Hetner, Senior Executive Board Member and Leader in Cybersecurity recognized for raising cyber risk to the corporate board level in order to protect industries, infrastructures, and economies. He creates operational resilience by aligning robust cybersecurity strategies with business objectives. Mr. Hetner's professional judgment combined with a public company perspective and SEC regulatory and investor oversight experience has led to his success in corporate and government roles. Currently, he is an expert advisor to the Institute for Defense Analysis, U.S. Department of Treasury, a special Advisor for Cyber Risk to the NACD, and a National Board Member of the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. Identifying potential risks and in initiating solutions that can be replicated across industries is a hallmark of his career. He served as the Senior Cybersecurity Advisor to the Chair of the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, and as Head of Cybersecurity for the Office of Compliance Inspections and Examination at the SEC. He also represented the chair of the SEC as a senior member of the U.S. Department of Treasury Financial Banking Information Infrastructure Committee. His greatest contributions included vision for and implementation of the first agency-wide cybersecurity governance structure, threat intelligence program, and incident response capabilities. It's my pleasure to introduce former senior cybersecurity advisor to the chair of the SEC, Mr. Chris Hetner. Chris, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, brother. Great to be
2: here, man. How are you?
1: Man, I'm good. Thanks for coming on the show. I had to get you on, man. March ninth, SEC issued some, you know, proposed rule on mandating cybersecurity disclosures by public companies, and I, I, knew I had to get you on the show to talk about this, bro. Like you're so close to this stuff, you know. You're working on some really cool, innovative stuff uh, in the startup world, and I mean, I just had to get you back on. So I appreciate you taking the time.
3: Now, ha- happy
2: to be here, man. All
1: right, so let's let's dive in, man. So, wh- what does this what's this proposed rule mean? You know, for for public companies, like what what can they expect?
2: Yeah, so just to just to back up a bit, you know, 2018, when I was in the chair's office uh, serving under Jay Clayton, we had issued a, a guidance um, interpretive guidance that was adopted by the entire of the commission, and essentially it's organized by how do you disclose incidents based on materialities and expectation on timelines. And then, how do you treat cyber risk in such a way that it's integrated as part of your enterprise risk management program? So, uh, you know, obviously, cyber involves uh, headline-grabbing ransomware attacks on U.S. infrastructures. Americans have grown, including the um, you know investor community. The lack of transparency from corporations, and you know, just to reiterate uh, what the new chair Gensler stated: investors want to know more, right? Um, and and so they realize this is a growing risk it has balance sheet implications it's uh impacting the company's um ability to grow creates more systemic risk so really this is about you know some some core principles that uh, set the foundation for transparency um a lot of investors you know already provide i'm sorry a lot of issues already provide cybersecurity disclosures to investors but the thinking here is companies and investors alike would benefit if this information were to be structured in a consistent way where it's comparable. You've got some decision makers around, um, you know, how do you apply uh, these types of disclosures to investment decisions in terms of how we rate companies and rank them. So I'm going to distill it down into to two key areas. Uh, one it would require, um, you know, mandatory ongoing disclosures on companies' ability to oversee the governance, um, what's their risk management practices, how do they set forth their strategy with respect to cyber risks. And and this is very much, you know, an integrational pull-through of the cybersecurity program into the enterprise risk management organization, which touches upon, you know, multiple uh, components, everything from... Your legal compliance to public relations to tr- traditional risk management finance and and so this level of integration would allow investors to assess these risks more effectively because you know, the investor community is very sophisticated they're not traditionally not technology uh specialists um, they view this through the lens of true enterprise risk management true financial exposure and so um just to say some examples under the proposed rules, companies would disclose information such as like the management's and the board's role in terms of how they oversight oversee cyber risk. So when I say management, I mean the CISO, the CIO that could be a CTO. So we'll call it the technology bucket. And then grouping management into you know finance, legal. Um, regulatory, compliance, public relation, traditional risk management, like how are you grouping the entirety of management as they lean into cyber risk, no more being simply a technology issue? And then secondly, whether companies have the right policies, procedures, guidelines, you know, capability um, in order to support that that integration and pull through cyber as part of your ERM strategy and then third which is really the which is moving the needle i believe and it's going to be a wake up call for the cybersecurity community is how cybersecurity risks and incidents are likely to impact the company's financials in a material way and so this this last bullet is really about the contextualization of cyber to business operational and financial outcomes in order to determine whether those risks or incidents are material or not for disclosure. We all know that, you know, look, I was a former CISO. I've been doing this for 30 years, Andy. You know, um, CISO for a global bank, $500 billion in assets, 100,000 employees, um, 60 countries. And I understand the intensity of the level of attacks and risks and incidents that I realized on a daily basis, almost on an hourly basis. But what this is going to do is force the CIO, so including management, sitting in parallel to kind of pare down the grouping of incidents and risks into areas that kind of reach or trip that materiality threshold. And then it's going to set the stage for, okay, so how do we prepare a disclosure to make sure that the the investor community uh, is aware that you know we're actually tackling this in such a way that is going to suppress that risk, and then the other component is you know a mandatory incident reporting, and and, and again incident reporting driven by materiality uh, that could affect an investor's decision making on how to deploy capital in your company.
1: Man, it's just such impactful, such an impactful rule that I think folks don't have a true appreciation for the implications, you know, for not doing it right. And I, so let's, let's back up a quick second. And just kind of level set for folks of like materiality. It's a very like legal kind of, um, interpretative, you know, kind of word, right? Like, like what are some of the things that people should be thinking about in the context of deciding what's material and what's not?
2: Yeah, look, it, it is a it's a legal term, and I'll be honest with you. You know, working with uh, the commission and the chair's office for four years, I was outnumbered, totally surrounded by very powerful attorneys. And um, while I'm not an attorney, I do play one on TV, and um, it's it's really a legal term, and, and that's determining, you know, what's important, what's not, in its very simplest form. You know, what's the impact? If we think about, you know, through the traditional information security assessment process, or if you're assessing your business continuity plan, there's something called a business impact analysis or BIA. I mean, this is, you know, tried and true, deployed as part of a traditional information risk management program. And at its core materiality is really uh, wrapped around that BIA type of process. So it's taking those uh, risks and incidents. and by the way, there is a distinction right between a risk and an incident. Risk is, hey, we've got you know some, some hygiene issue, we have some uh, potential exposures that can be exploited that need to be addressed. And then the incident uh, obviously is an event that occurred and now we've got to do something about it, whether it's you know, you know containing, suppressing, um, responding. And so when you group those two together and you think about materiality, um, you almost want to think through the balance sheet implication associated with those types of events, uh, whether it's a risk or incident. And the more advanced companies, and I've seen this kind of born through the risk transfer markets and in the, in the risk, traditional risk management community, is the way you, you, do, you derive that materiality. You look at scenarios that are specific to your business, uh, such as intellectual property theft. Uh, business interruption, loss of customer data, um, misappropriation of data, misappropriation of services, uh, misappropriation of funds. So very specific, concrete loss categories that are paired through the risk transfer markets. And if you take those incidents and and, those risks, and you run them through that analysis, the output should be some level of balance sheet economic financial and operational exposure used in business terms. And then you have to decide as a company, uh, including your board of directors, as to w- what risks and incidents are acceptable, uh, how much of this can you transfer off of your balance sheet using some type of insurance policy or mechanism, and then in the balance of it is, okay, so how are we going to manage that? I've seen some companies tackle this in you know percentage of revenue. Um, or um, a percentage of market share. Um, There are certain, you know, uh, incidents and risks that are just always material because it's so central to the core of that company. Like when I was advising the U.S. Treasury on financial market resiliency, you know, we viewed the financial market utilities that support the system as a whole. You know, these companies, these firms would move clear and settle, you know, Of six trillion dollars a day, you know, any type of integrity attack on those platforms were considered material. So, you got to bring it back to your business perspective. And by the way, it's not up to the CISO to decide that it's up, you know, the decision point on that is made from the board of directors and the C suite, including the CEO, CFO, you know, the risk officer, general counsel. Yeah, and that works in calibration with the CISO to go deploy. Uh, the specific controls and investments.
1: Yeah, man, I think that's a really great point, right? So it, it it puts the CISO in a very interesting place, right? Where like you know they need to be the the gatherer and of an understander of facts and be able to present those facts, you know, for this materiality to be you know decided. It also puts them in a very interesting spot in the sense that we also want the CISO to be an actual C level executive making business decisions and being a part of that conversation. So it puts the CISO in this like very tactical position and also very kind of executive position where they've got to be able to sit and wear both hats, right? They got to oversee the IR, make sure their people are doing that, get them the right data and then flip it around and say, okay, is this really material to our business and be a part of that conversation in a almost independent way, uh, which puts them in a really interesting place. So. It's. I find this topic extremely fascinating uh, because we're putting a lot on our CISOs and you know, I, I'm. We want to get them educated and be be armed and ready for to deal with this stuff because there's so much to it. And uh, man, you know, it could really put them in a bad spot.
2: Completely agree. I mean, look, I you know, been in the space for for some time now. You know, early on in my career as a network security engineer in the you know deep in the workings of, of running and building data centers and working in the financial services sector here in, in New York. And you know, I appreciate um, the tactical competency that's required uh, to defend. And, and it's, it is going to be um, a bit of a stretch for some CISOs, uh, maybe, maybe more than some, because they're placed in the position where they're constantly putting out fires, um, very tactical in nature, in some cases the uh, the CISO is just you know born through the technology structure organizationally and they're they uh, they feel comfortable in that space so everything is viewed through that you know that nail is is treated with a technology hammer and this is going to require a bit of a pivot <clears throat> to make sure that you're open and receptive to you know, new ideas and ensuring that you have a full understanding of the whole of the business. Um, you know, I've met with some CISOs that, you know, that have an advanced understanding of the company, their position, in the marketplace, you know, how they make money, how they preserve profits, what they're delivering to shareholders, and they align, calibrate their program accordingly. And then, you know, I've interacted with a bunch of CISOs that don't even understand the balance sheet of the company that they're supporting or have a full pre- appreciation of the business side. So, So it's going to be a a leveling up of CISOs uh, to shift away from the technology jargon and integration of tech into the cybersecurity program and really strike that balance between driving a a board-level engagement governance structure that's aligned to business financial outputs while maintaining that day-to-day operational rigor. Very difficult role, extremely challenging. And you know, my hats off to my CISO uh, brothers and sisters out there that are fighting the battle.
1: Look, I got so many more questions for you, bro. I got so much someone want to dive into. We got to take a quick break. So hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Searching at TF7 Radio, and it'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors and we'll be right back with former senior cybersecurity advisor to the SEC chair, Chris Hetner. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
4: and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T.
3: In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
4: When it comes to
0: business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now back to this week's show. Here again is your host
1: George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force Seven Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with former senior cybersecurity advisor to the chair of the SEC, Mister. Chris Hetner. Well, Chris, you know, like I, I find this fascinating. So I think our audience like just loves this stuff because it's blending, you know, the tech and non-tech. We're really talking about significant business issues that, uh, we got to solve for. And, you know, there, there's, I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, the gaps that exist in companies. And I, I, I feel like I've made a career. And as one of the reasons why we do this show is to translate and sit between the data center and the boardroom, right? Cause it's like, there's two different types of personalities there sometimes, and they don't all speak the same language. So we're trying to bridge that gap. You mentioned contextualization, you know, in the first segment, and I'd love to get your your take on like what does that mean, and how does that help bridge the gap between, we'll say, the data center and the boardroom.
2: Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a great point, and, and it does represent a fairly wide and broad reach between the data center and the boardroom. I mean, look, I started my career in the data center, and now you know we're largely operating in the boardroom. Yeah, and so you know, I you know, I think the there needs to be an appreciation for the day-to-day hand-to-hand combat that exists um, in the the security operations center. Um, Boots in the ground, security engineering, whether it be, you know, deployment of, um, you know, controls, deployment of defenses, you know, secure hardening uh, as you deploy, you know, uh, systems to the production network, network segmentation, you know, use of endpoint, uh, encryption and 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 you know the, make sure that you have sufficient monitoring in place um to see where you have potential anomalous activity on the network or anomalous logins um, all that is absolutely critical and basic to the security operations I call that you know the foundation of security 101 but you know as you think about the boardroom and then even below the boardroom which would be the Enterprise risk management community, the you know there needs to be a bi-directional uh, flow of of information between that you know operations center, the data center, and the board, and back and forth. And so, um, how I see it is, the board enterprise risk the CISO organization sets the foundation for uh, gaining insights into where you have you know, risks and exposure to your business. The business ebbs and flows, uh, it's never static activity. Certain companies are deploying new products on a continuous basis. Um, there might be acquisitions. Uh, there might be decisioning around deploying uh, third party supply chain resources in certain regions of the world that could represent risk. And so all those decisions at the business side of the house uh, the security organization should have a seat at the table. And um, I like to see uh, the deployment of a, what I call a business information security officer. I mean, I'm a little biased. I, you know, I'm a former city guy uh, born through the Steve Katz uh, construct of cyber. And 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 so we always found it useful to have those business information security officers embedded into the various lines of business to gain the insights in terms of what's happening um, from a day-to-day perspective and how security lines with that business strategy. But then, you know, once that makes its way to the senior leadership and the board and the board signs off on these business decisions, there needs to be a security component there that says, Hey, if we're taking on this risk, we're moving this to certain markets. We need to make sure that we're calibrating our, Data center going back downstream into the underbelly of the company to make sure that we're calibrating and we're sufficiently resourced. And so um, this is where you start to see the transition between, you know, the tactical foundation to financial operational risk outcomes that dictate uh, to the board exactly where the exposures are. Because you know, if you tell the board, hey, you know, we've got on average a thousand phishing attacks a day, and we block ninety nine percent. Okay, sounds good. you know what does that mean? Um, that one percent could represent a significant foothold in, in the network that could bleed the company dry in terms of intellectual property or, or misappropriation of funds. So you know when you're delivering that um, that report out to the board it needs to be placed in that business financial output to show hey, here's our unaddressed cyber risk in terms of our are the way we're calibrated, the way we're staffed. And and the board says, hey, that's acceptable or not. If it's not acceptable, then it's incumbent upon um, management to make sure that the cybersecurity operations capability is calibrated in such a way that where you're deploying defenses might require additional investments. Uh, We've seen recently in the DHS um, initiative with regards to Ukraine, uh, Russian situation, there's a whole shields up effort Garnering support for the CISO and realizing that the business uh, is going to have to make sacrifices in terms of deployment of controls and defenses. Um, what I call roadblocks that may seem annoying on the surface, but those are requirements uh, in order to to do business and to suppress some of this risk. So it, it really is a constant, you know, continuous, you know, co- connect uh, between the the data center security operations and the board of directors. It just needs to admin and flow on a continuous basis for it to be effective.
1: So, yeah, I appreciate the insight there, man. So, like, what are you hearing from the CISO community about the board's ability to consume and then vice versa? Like what's, what are you hearing about CISOs from the board, from board members?
2: Yeah. So there, um, there's a grouping of CISOs that I, I would say that they, they view this as training the board on, being technically proficient, um, driving the relevance of their cybersecurity uh, defense strategy and the way they're deploying resources to a language that's understood by the board, um, and but it's still kind of baked into that technical output, right? So, you know, if you're a um, CISO for, you know, let's say uh, some type of uh, retail operation and you've got concerns around, you know, PCI compliance or data exfiltration, you know, you want to pair those, those business risks to here the five or 10 things we should be doing on a day-to-day basis in order to reduce that risk. And, and, but the, but the report out to the board is, is a tactical oriented report. And, and those CISOs are very comfortable with that. They, you know, they train their board to understand what these tactical metrics mean and, and, um, some cases the board will engage uh, and challenge the management team on these metrics, but I've seen invariably these technical metrics tend to fall flat uh, and, and aren't understood and digestible by the board. Because let's face it, the board is you know largely comprised of uh, former executive CEOs of various companies, uh, most of them are financial driven. And then um, you've got a grouping of CISOs that are realizing that the traditional You know, security metrics that have an operational lens aren't actionable. And I'm seeing an uptick in, hey, Chris, you know, how do we convert this to business, financial, operational outcomes? I had a CISO approach me about six weeks ago. He spent half a million dollars on the NIST cybersecurity assessment. He presented it to a CEO before it went to the board that he reports to. The CEO said, I don't understand any of this. What does this mean? 2.0, 2.5, maturity. I assume going to five is best, but can we get there? What's the investment required? How much capital are we deploying? What does this mean in terms of the suppression of business risk? And he didn't have the answers. Um, And and he wouldn't have the answers because that's not the way the NIST output um, is uh, is presented. So I worked with him uh, on delivering and integrating some financial analytics, to pair those outputs to uh, business, financial, operational al- outputs uh, to ensure that the board understood that hey, if you're a 2.0, you know you've got you know X millions of dollars in unaddressed cyber risk, and here's how it can manifest um, across your company: data breach, ransomware. You know, based on those threats that are most likely to inflict the, the the most you know financial exposure uh, due to that risk, and then uh, what ha- happens there is you speak in the language of the board, they understand the financials, and then they ask, okay, so how do we align our cyber risk management program to our overall enterprise risk management program to make sure that we're prioritizing our resources and we've got a risk remediation and risk transfer strategy? Um, so you've really got you know, dichotomy there, dude. I mean, yeah. obviously, and, and the SEC rules is going to require – uh, a level up on these technical reports to more business context.
1: So, so let's unpack that use case she talked about, right? CISO comes to you and says, Hey, I talked to my CEO, right? I just spent 500 grand, right? That's number one, right? Yeah. <laughs> I spent half a million dollars. And the, C- the CEO goes, I have no idea what I got for that 500 million or that 500,000, right? <laughs> right. That's the first thing the CEO said. He goes, I just gave you 500K and I have no idea what you did with it. I don't get it. And what was the value? Number two, presumably that board meeting is in less than a week or two if you're having that conversation with the CEO. So knowing that, you know, that you got a week before the, you know, or so before the material got to be finalized, they go to the, they go to the board for them to read it ahead of time. So let's say that that meeting took place two me, two weeks before the board meeting, right? <laughs>
3: like what's yeah. this?
1: say? So you're telling me that you went to him and helped him translate CSF into something that the board could consume and uh, we'll say, well, I'll give you the, the full two weeks, right? Walk me through like how you kind of save this guy or girl. right? Like,
2: yeah, that. look, and, and that's just one example. I, I'm seeing an uptick in this, uh, by the way, Andy, you know, and we're seeing companies just deploy, you know, millions of dollars on these technical oriented security assessments that aren't digestible. And, and so, you know, and look, that's the that's interaction with the CISO. I'm seeing at the board level, you know, I represent the NACD community as well as working with the SEC on these matters. I mean, we've got at the NACD a portfolio of about 25,000 corporate directors. Our fairly consistent survey that we issue in terms of how how well do you understand and and can action the metrics that are being delivered to uh, to the board, 70 to 75 percent come back. But we don't we don't understand what's being delivered you know this is, none of it makes sense to us we just either hire a technical expert or we just sit there and support the seats to the best we can So this represents a major disconnect um, but honestly you know again working with the commission, uh, three and a half years ago I worked very closely with the division of economics um, within the SEC uh, we looked at data related to insurance. Uh, how the industry is uh, modeling and calibrating cyber risk to using more of an actuarial approach and no different than any other, you know, treatment of um, a risk, whether it be fire suppression or, or flood insurance or automobile insurance, there is data that supports loss activity. There's data that support um, what's kind of worked, what's not in terms of prevention and, and, you can pull this together and realizing cyber doesn't have the luxury of a hundred years worth of data, but you know, there's probably a good 10 to 12 years worth of richness within the risk transfer markets. And basically what you're doing is you're applying an analytic um, that is able to quickly and efficiently, um convert the very tactical metrics to, you know, using um, various properties. Number one, you're looking at threat, and that threat most material to your business. And it requires a business profile. So a healthcare company is going to look at that different than a, than a bank. It's going to look at them from then a manufacturer or retailer. You start to look at impact. Um, we look at uh, inherent risk value. What's, what's the value of this asset, regardless of whether it, it's been impacted by a cyber event. Um, is it PII? Is it PHI? Uh, is it data related to R&D? Is it data related to MA activity? So you know, you're trying to understand how valuable this data is and these systems are to your company, how well you're deploying your control. So this is where the NIST assessment comes into play, where hey, you know, if you're NIST 3.0, um, you know, you want to go to 3.5, I can assess your effectiveness based on that calibrated, you know, categorization of 3.0. And I know that to go to 3.5. You're going to have to level up, you know, whether it be five or six or ten steps, and then you start to look at uh, how much would it take in terms of capital deployment in order to uh, deploy, you know, in order to manage up that that capability, and then you start to look at residual risk. So if we go from a 3.0, 3.5 across these various categories, you could start to dissect um, again based on business relevance. Those areas that will give you the biggest bang for the buck. You know, if I, if I have a, a SCADA system, or if I'm an ICS shop, um, you know, that's those types of controls are going to look different than if I were a banking system or or a trade platform. And then you start to pare down those lost categories and what if uh, scenarios, and the scenarios uh, really drive out, you know, how much loss you are gonna incur. So there are advancements in analytics that uh, can really help you drive that integration in an efficient way using uh, an approach and data set that's uh, leveraged by the risk transfer markets.
1: Yeah. I love it. So, so how did it play out for that CISO, man, that came to you? Like how, how did, you know, what was the, you know, they went to the board and they go, whew, this is different. Like what was the feedback you got?
2: It's an out, it's an output that's understood. Um, it was done very efficiently um, I suspect that the, the the feedback going forward is going to be, hey, this is what we want to see on a consistent basis. I've already seen that with several CISOs that I work with uh, through my uh, advisory community where they've had the traditional technical metric. Now what they're seeing as a benefit is they have more board engagement. They're getting better uh, support from the board and increased budget, by the way. And, and then even before it gets to the board, their CFO and the chief risk officer for this one particular CISO who's uh, runs a, a fairly sizable regional bank, now he's able to calibrate and inform their risk transfer strategy. So their insurance policies were totally not aligned with the reality. So they're seeing um, an upgrade in their risk transfer strategy. And an up an upgrade in terms of where they're deploying capital. It's just you know it's just a game changer for uh, for for converting where now you've got the entirety of the enterprise support and you get the support from the board of directors.
1: Yeah, man, it's it's that's really cool. <clears throat> so the SEC guidance, right? It's obviously for public companies, but you know you've got more and more companies, you know, getting ready for IPO, like wh- how does this guidance, you know, change what private companies who are looking to go public or, you know, or even the PE world that are just making significant investments across, you know, multiple industries and portfolio companies, like how is this being applied and viewed by the non, you know, the private company world?
2: Yeah. So it's, a, it's actually a good point. Andy. you know, th- there's been some recent, Um, analysis resulting from what we call it middle market companies that are private, that get consumed into private equity firms or investment firms. And, you know, the middle market companies that's private, you know, they don't have the luxury of having the budget or the governance structure compared to, let's say, a large banking institution. Um, They usually, you know, they're they're cyber hydrants degraded uh, relative to, you know, some of the larger companies. What we're seeing is um, those companies being targeted by ransomware as they get ingested into the portfolio of the big private equity firms. And now the PE firms like, hey, we just acquired an asset that's just been compromised and it's driving um, an uptick in ransomware payment because you know the last thing the PE firm wants to do is, is you know, downgrade their investment because they've got an asset that's compromised. So they're going to make it go away. So it's critical that the, the private markets um, start to evaluate their posture, um, the likelihood of attack occurring, and what the potential losses can be. And as it pertains to the private equity you know, in the portfolio analysis, the PE firms uh, are starting to lean into this. They're starting to look at buy Portco or buy grouping of Portcos based on industry type or asset class type. Um, what's our financial risk associated with it from a cyber perspective, and how how does that represent risk to our overall investment strategy? So, as you onboard a portfolio company through the acquisition, we've seen uh, private equity companies do uh, due diligence and to ensure that you know you're getting you're not buying a defect or a lemon, right? You're you're buying something that is not compromised. Uh, if there is exposure, you have full transparency in terms of where the exposures are, where the investments are, and then on the other side of the equation, when you look to exit the company, you know the last thing you want is the company suddenly all their intellectual property is 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 left the back door as you start to put this thing on the market, and, and you know you're trying to sell it for half a billion dollars, but because the IP is lost. You know that could represent a twenty percent downgrade in terms of that investment. So um, it's we're seeing the P community start to lean into this as a you know constant monitoring and a health check, applying a fiscal strategy to make sure those investments are preserved across the various companies and and um, starting to apply this uh, financial lens. In fact, the SEC issued the, the disclosure rules uh, last week on publicly listed companies, but about three weeks before um, very similar rule on the investment management community, which includes private equity and investment companies in terms of stressing the need for the, the, the portfolio uh, company boards lean into their investment and understand exactly where the material cyber risks are and how they're treating that risk. This is now probably you know part of that requirement. The last thing a CISO needs is some level of supervisory oversight from the SEC to ensure that they're doing their job.
1: Yeah. And I'm definitely seeing more CISOs in that, you know, like the PE market that are like, Hey man, I need some help. Like I need to find a way to talk about what we're doing here. Like quick, <laughs> like it's definitely a real thing that folks are struggling with because they got to get into that meeting and they don't have an answer. And uh, man, it's a, that's an uncomfortable place to be. And you're hearing, I'm hearing folks, You know, some companies are cycling through CISOs, you know, annually, right? Because they just can't get the right fit because they can't get the the language to be the same. Like they're just struggling. And so uh, this is going to continue, man. We got to get ahead of it somehow. So, um, look, I I can't wait. I got a couple more things I got to dive into with this in the next segment, but I got to take another break. All right, folks, don't forget to uh, check out, you know, this episode later on. But we, man, we're going to be right back with more from former senior cybersecurity advisor to the chair of the SEC, Mr. Chris Hetner. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
3: In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management.
4: As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Synet. and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Cynet, S-I-N-E-T.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at Taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task force 7 with the number 7 radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Riedes.
1: Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with former senior cybersecurity advisor to the chair of the SEC, Mr. Chris Hetner. All right, Chris, we're fin- we're at the home stretch, brother. Appreciate you taking the time with us tonight to get on and chat about this such an important topic. <clears throat> I really feel like, you know, this is such a we got to close the gap for the for boards and CISO so we can just make you know get folks the right investment, minimize risk. Um, but there's something that I hear a lot from boards, and it's this consist- consistent desire to want to benchmark against their peers. Like I always say like, what is everyone else doing? Right. What, what are you hearing that? Like, what's your take on that?
2: Yeah, no, you're spot on. That That's invariably, you know, what boards want to know. Um, you know, how, how are we measuring up? Um, you know, what, what are our peers doing in terms of, you know, deployment of resources in terms of investments? What are the latest tools they're seeing? I've heard, uh, hey, you know, what types of threats our peers, uh, realizing how we tackling those threats. In fact, you know, when I was CISO at GE Capital, I did uh, about a 12-month benchmark study across our peers in the banking financial services community when the uh, the GE Capital platform was designated as a CIFI, as per Dodd-Frank. And, you know, we took, our budget was like, you know, Five percentage points below our peers, but I leveraged that peer analysis to present to the board. Say, hey, you know, our, our similar size companies are like, you know, five or six tenth notches up if compared to where we are, and and that really grabbed the attention of the board. And as a result, I was able to get you know orders of magnitude, you know, roughly sixty million dollar um, capital injection into our cybersecurity program. So that peer benchmarking is, is here. It'll never go away. Um, And it helps to um, inform the board member, whether they want to be like kind of in the middle, it's usually not below (laughs) here. Right. If they're below the peer uh, analysis, like you're, you're leveling up, but you either want to be in the middle of the pack or you want to exceed. And that, that you, those are usually the uh, the two out, outcomes that I've seen uh, the board drive towards. And then of course, from a threat perspective, you know, the simple um, you know answer is hey, you know, how we, you know, what are our peers realizing in terms of financial uh, loss due to cyber attacks? And you know, you could start bringing that analysis to the table. Say, hey, you know, maybe we're not the size of a JP Morgan Chase or City Group. I'm saying if you're a bank, you're let's say a regional bank. However, you know, we do have uh, some threats that, you know, are specific to our profile. So that's an important, you know, dialogue to have with the board to put things in perspective.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's a good key point, right? So you got to talk about where you're, where you stack up against the peers, but also like, you know, we also run a different business. We're a different company. We've got a different network topology. We got different control issues. Like not everyone's the same. Maybe we're attacked a little differently than our peers, right? Like I used to do that analysis yeah. also, right? Like something that you might be not getting hit with today that your peers got hit with, or vice versa, right? And so, exactly. kind of taking a look at those things holistically. So, you know, when we finish up, man, like what, what advice would you give CISOs just kind of going forward in the context of like, you know, looking down the barrel, the SEC ruling, but also, you know, trying to contextualize their work and show, you know, honestly, return on investment?
2: Yeah, I think there's a few things. Uh- Realize that, you know, the battle's never won, um, which I believe most CISOs understand. Um, The use of fear, uncertainty, doubt um, is never uh, a positive uh, outcome. Although, you know, there should be a level set of where you are from from an investment perspective, from a cultural standpoint, and, 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 you know, from a maturity standpoint relative to your ability to tackle, uh, and suppress cyber risk. Um, and, and so you've got to be kind of like, you know, internally realistic, look at yourself, look at where you're aligned to organizationally. I've heard certain CISOs that have a direct line into the chief technology officer that was supposed to have a dotted line into the chief operating officer or CRO and, suddenly they're challenged with budget decisions and everything is a, you know, aligned to the technology lens um, and not a business lens. So really just be honest with yourself where you are organizationally. And if, you, you know, if you're calibrated for success, because uh, if you have the improper reporting line, if you don't have the right support, then um, that, that's, that you're gonna be uh, challenged in terms of advancing your career and your mission within that organization. Um, and then, you yeah, articulate that, you know, just be transparent in terms of, you know, wh- where the limitations are from that perspective. And then uh, with regards to engagement with the board, again, it's really determining, again, the materiality of risks and incidents um, and how you're aligning your budget and deploying the capital to suppress that risk. If you're a publicly listed company, given the SEC requirements, this is now, you know, there's no debate anymore. You know, um, there's a requirement to determine what's disclosable, what's not based on uh, that materiality threshold using the contextualization of cyber to business financial operational outcomes. And, you know, working with your general counsel, uh, your, your, your risk team and your finance team uh, to make sure that, you know, on a quarterly basis, that you're organizing those cyber incidents, those risks identified to make sure that you're doing the analysis to determine what needs to be represented in your public filings and public disclosures, Um, and then identify whether your policies, procedures, your governance process, your risk assessment process is calibrated and and represents what's required in this new um, SEC rule. And and so if you feel like your your technical um, risk assessment process that also captures security results in overly technical outcomes, it's probably not sufficient to meet these new requirements. So now you've got to think about how do we convert those technical assessments to outcomes that are digestible by the board, the CFO, using more of a business lens. Uh, And then um, to the extent that your company Decides, hey, you know, we want to dedicate a committee on the board to cybersecurity. You know, that's fine, um, but I would caution to to ensure that you're not pigeonholed into that one committee. You want the entirety of the board engaged, and in order to do, achieve that, you have to bring you know financial, uh, operational, business metrics to the board that paint that overall picture to say, hey, if we have these incidents occur. We've got this, you know, tactical technology and cyber debt that exists in our company. We have overlines on these supply chains. Here are the potential outcomes that we're going to face if we don't make um, a change. And then, you know, that could be, you know, for the entire board to understand, but then the dedicated uh, committee on cyber, or you have that cyber expert, um, I usually see that better um, more officially calibrated into a broader risk committee that has like-minded risk domains, such as geopolitical, supply chain risk, uh, broad-based technology risk, like you know what artificial intelligence, machine learning. You know what if you deploy uh, algorithms that maybe aren't you know malicious in nature, but what if they've gone sideways and suddenly you know you're taking out portions of your network, you're you're introducing integrity issues with your data you know, that, that's, that type of broad-based uh, committee where cyber should sit will help you cross-pollinate and will help you collaborate across those like-minded uh, domains. So those are some of the, yeah uh, you know, the, the, the capability that I, I would start leaning into. Um, and look, get out of your comfort zone. You know, the, for those that are highly tactical CISOs um, and aren't willing to lean into this, you know, this, that's a bit of a introspection and looking at um, where you need to be in order to advance your capability. And look, if you don't have the uh, the ability or expertise, you know, hire somebody outside to coach you um, and and um, help to deliver that conversion into what's required going forward.
1: There you go, man. Well, look, Chris, I really appreciate you coming on the show, brother. Thank you.
2: Okay. Good to see
1: you. Yeah, man. Always good, man. I uh, looking forward to having you back on. We'll see how this plays out over the next few months and uh, we'll get you back on here soon.
2: Fantastic. Okay.
1: All right, brother. All right, man. Time for us to bounce up and out of here. Don't forget to visit AliveShoes.com slash brand slash TF7 to get your own pair of Task Force 7 sneakers. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there.